Chapter Fourteen, Part Four of Salambo by Gustave Flaubert. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Caroline. Chapter Fourteen, Part Four. In this way, they lingered for three months along the eastern coast, and then behind the mountain of Selum, and as far as the first sands of the desert. They sought for a place of refuge, no matter where eudica and hipposeritus alone had not betrayed them but hamilcar was encompassing these two towns then they went northwards at haphazard without even knowing the various routes their many miseries had confused their understandings the only feeling left them was one of exasperation which went on developing and one day they found themselves again in the gorges of cobus and once more before carthage then the actions multiplied fortune remained equal but both sides were so wearied that they would willingly have exchanged these skirmishes for a great battle provided that it were really the last matho was inclined to carry this proposal himself to the suffet one of his libyans devoted himself for the purpose all were convinced as they saw him depart that he would not return he returned the same evening hamilcar accepted the challenge the encounter should take place the following day at sunrise in the plain of rades the mercenaries wished to know whether he had said anything more and the libyan added as i remained in his presence he asked me what i was waiting for to be killed i replied then he rejoined no be gone that will be to-morrow with the rest this generosity astonished the barbarians some were terrified by it and matho regretted that the emissary had not been killed he had still remaining three thousand africans twelve hundred greeks fifteen hundred campanians two hundred iberians four hundred etruscans five hundred samnites forty gauls and a troop of nafurs nomad bandits met with in the date region in all seven thousand two hundred and nineteen soldiers but not one complete syntagmata they had stopped up the holes in their cuirasses with the shoulder-blades of quadrupeds and replaced their brass cotherni with worn sandals their garments were weighed with copper or steel plates their coats of mail hung in tatters about them and scars appeared like purple threads through the hair on their arms and faces the wraiths of their dead companions came back to their souls and increased their energy they felt in a confused way that they were the ministers of a god diffused in the hearts of the oppressed and were the pontiffs so to speak of universal vengeance then they were enraged with grief at what was extravagant injustice and above all by the sight of carthage on the horizon they swore an oath to fight for one another until death the beasts of burden were killed and as much as possible was eaten so as to gain strength afterwards they slept some prayed 
turning towards different constellations the carthaginians arrived first in the plain they rubbed the edges of their shields with oil to make the arrows glide off them easily the foot-soldiers who wore long hair took the precaution of cutting it on the forehead and hamilcar ordered all bowls to be inverted from the fifth hour knowing that it is disadvantageous to fight with the stomach too full his army amounted to fourteen thousand men or about double the number of the barbarians nevertheless he had never felt such anxiety if he succumbed it would mean the annihilation of the republic and he would perish on the cross if on the contrary he triumphed he would reach italy by way of the pyrenees the gauls and the alps and the empire of the barcas would become eternal twenty times during the night he rose to inspect everything himself down to the most trifling details as to the carthaginians they were exasperated by their lengthened terror narhavas suspected the fidelity of his numidians moreover the barbarians might vanquish them a strange weakness had come upon him every moment he drank large cups of water but a man whom he did not know opened his tent and laid on the ground a crown of rock-salt adorned with hieratic designs formed with sulphur and lozenges of mother-of-pearl a marriage crown was sometimes sent to a betrothed husband it was a proof of love a sort of invitation nevertheless hamilcar's daughter had no tenderness for narhavas the recollection of mato disturbed her in an intolerable manner it seemed to her that the death of this man would unburden her thoughts just as people to cure themselves of the bite of a viper crush it upon the wound the king of the numidians was depending upon her he awaited the wedding with impatience and as it was to follow the victory salambo made him this present to stimulate his courage then his distress vanished and he thought only of the happiness of possessing so beautiful a woman the same vision had assailed matto but he cast it from him immediately and his love that he thus thrust back was poured out upon his companions in arms he cherished them like portions of his own person of his hatred and he felt his spirit higher and his arms stronger everything that he was to accomplish appeared clearly before him if sighs sometimes escaped him it was because he was thinking of spendius he drew up the barbarians in six equal ranks he posted the etruscans in the centre all being fastened to a bronze chain the archers were behind and on the wings he distributed the nafurs who were mounted on short-haired camels covered with ostrich feathers the suffet arranged the carthaginians in similar order he placed the clinabarians outside the infantry next to the velites and the numidians beyond when day appeared both sides were thus in line face to face 
all gazed at each other from a distance with round fierce eyes there was at first some hesitation at last both armies moved the barbarians advanced slowly so as not to become out of breath beating the ground with their feet the centre of the punic army formed a convex curve then came the burst of a terrible shock like the crash of two fleets in collision the first rank of the barbarians had quickly opened up and the marksmen hidden behind the others discharged their bullets arrows and javelins the curve of the carthaginians however flattened by degrees became quite straight and then bent inwards upon this the two sections of the velites drew together in parallel lines like the legs of a compass that is being closed the barbarians who were attacking the phalanx with fury entered the gap they were being lost mato checked them and while the carthaginian wings continued to advance he drew out the three inner ranks of his line they soon covered his flanks and his army appeared in triple array but the barbarians placed at the extremities were the weakest especially those on the left who had exhausted their quivers and the troop of velites which had at last come up against them was cutting them up greatly mato made them fall back his right comprised companions who were armed with axes he hurled them against the carthaginian left the centre attacked the enemy and those at the other extremity who were out of peril kept the velites at a distance then hamilcar divided his horsemen into squadrons placed hoplites between them and sent them against the mercenaries those cone-shaped masses presented a front of horses and their broader sides were filled and bristling with lances the barbarians found it impossible to resist the greek foot-soldiers alone had brazen armour all the rest had cutlasses on the end of poles scythes taken from the farms or swords manufactured out of the fillies of wheels the soft blades were twisted by a blow and while they were engaged in straightening them under their heels the carthaginians massacred them right and left at their ease but the etruscans riveted to their chain did not stir those who were dead being prevented from falling formed an obstruction with their corpses and the great bronze line widened and contracted in turn as supple as a serpent and as impregnable as a wall the barbarians would come to reform behind it pant for a minute and then set off again with the fragments of their weapons in their hands many already had none left and they leaped upon the carthaginians biting their faces like dogs the gauls in their pride stripped themselves of the sagam they showed their great white bodies from a distance and they enlarged their wounds to terrify the enemy 
the voice of the crier announcing the orders could no longer be heard in the midst of the punic syntagmata their signals were being repeated by the standards which were raised above the dust and every one was swept away in the swaying of the great mass that surrounded him hamilcar commanded the numidians to advance but the nephors rushed to meet them clad in vast black robes with a tuft of hair on the top of the skull and a shield of rhinoceros leather they wielded a steel which had no handle and which they held by a rope and their camels which bristled all over with feathers uttered long hoarse cluckings each blade fell on a precise spot then rose again with a smart stroke carrying off a limb with it the fierce beasts galloped through the syntagmata some whose legs were broken went hopping along like wounded ostriches the punic infantry turned in a body upon the barbarians and cut them off their maniples wheeled about at intervals from one another the more brilliant carthaginian weapons encircled them like golden crowns there was a swarming movement in the centre and the sun striking down upon the points of the swords made them glitter with white flickering gleams however files of clinabarians lay stretched upon the plain some mercenaries snatched away their armour clothed themselves in it and then returned to the fray the deluded carthaginians were several times entangled in their midst they would stand stupidly motionless or else would back surge again and triumphant shouts rising in the distance seemed to drive them along like derelicts in a storm hamilcar was growing desperate all was about to perish beneath the genius of mato and the invincible courage of the mercenaries but a great noise of tambourines burst forth on the horizon it was a crowd of old men sick persons children of fifteen years of age and even women who being unable to withstand their distress any longer had set out from carthage and for the purpose of placing themselves under the protection of something formidable had taken from hamilcar's palace the only elephant that the republic now possessed that one namely whose trunk had been cut off then it seemed to the carthaginians that their country forsaking its walls was coming to command them to die for her they were seized with increased fury and the numidians carried away all the rest the barbarians had set themselves with their backs to a hillock in the centre of the plain they had no chance of conquering or even of surviving but they were the best the most intrepid and the strongest the people from carthage began to throw spits larding-pins and hammers over the heads of the numidians those whom consuls had feared died beneath sticks hurled by women the punic populace was exterminating the mercenaries the latter had taken refuge on the top of the hill 
their circle closed up every fresh breach twice it descended to be immediately repulsed with a shock and the carthaginians stretched forth their arms pall-mall thrusting their pikes between the legs of their companions and raking at random before them they slipped in the blood the steep slope of the ground made the corpses roll to the bottom the elephant which was trying to climb the hillock was up to its belly it seemed to be crawling over them with delight and its shortened trunk which was broad at the extremity rose from time to time like an enormous leech then all paused the carthaginians ground their teeth as they gazed at the hill where the barbarians were standing at last they dashed at them abruptly and the fight began again the mercenaries would often let them approach shouting to them that they wished to surrender then with frightful sneers they would kill themselves at a blow and as the dead fell the rest would mount upon them to defend themselves it was a kind of pyramid which grew larger by degrees soon there were only fifty then only twenty only three and lastly only two a samnit armed with an axe and mato who still had his sword the samnit with bent hands swept his axe alternately to the right and left at the same time warning mato of the blows that were being aimed at him master this way that way stoop down mato had lost his shoulder-pieces his helmet his cuirass he was completely naked and more livid than the dead with his hair quite erect and two patches of foam at the corners of his lips and his sword whirled so rapidly that it formed an aureola around him a stone broke it near the guard the samnit was killed and the flood of carthaginians closed in they touched mato then he raised both his empty hands towards heaven closed his eyes and opening out his arms like a man throwing himself from the summit of a promontory into the sea hurled himself among the pikes they moved away before him several times he ran against the carthaginians but they always drew back and turned their weapons aside his foot struck against a sword mato tried to seize it he felt himself tied by the wrists and knees and fell narhavas had been following him for some time step by step with one of the large nets used for capturing wild beasts and taking advantage of the moment when he stooped down had involved him in it then he was fastened on the elephants with his four limbs forming a cross and all those who were not wounded escorted him and rushed with great tumult towards carthage the news of the victory had arrived some inexplicable way at the third hour of the night the clepsydra of Carmon had just completed the fifth as they reached malqua 
then mato opened his eyes there were so many lights in the houses that the town appeared to be all in flames an immense clamour reached him dimly and lying on his back he looked at the stars then a door closed and he was wrapped in darkness on the morrow at the same hour the last of the men left in the pass of the hatchet expired on the day that their companions had set out some zuaeks who were returning had tumbled the rocks down and had fed them for some time the barbarians constantly expected to see mato appear and from discouragement from languor and from the obstinacy of sick men who object to change their situation they would not leave the mountain at last the provisions were exhausted and the zuaeks went away it was known that they numbered scarcely more than thirteen hundred men and there was no need to employ soldiers to put an end to them wild beasts especially lions had multiplied during the three years that the war had lasted narhavas had held a great battue and after tying goats at intervals had run upon them and so driven them towards the pass of the hatchet and they were now all living in it when a man arrived who had been sent by the ancients to find out what there was left of the barbarians lions and corpses were lying over the tract of the plain and the dead were mingled with clothes and armour nearly all had the face or an arm wanting some appeared to be still intact others were completely dried up and their helmets were filled with powdery skulls feet which had lost their flesh stood out straight from the nimids skeletons still wore their cloaks and bones cleaned by the sun made gleaming spots in the midst of the sand the lions were resting with their breasts against the ground and both paws stretched out winking their eyelids in the bright daylight which was heightened by the reflection from the white rocks others were seated on their hindquarters and staring before them or else were sleeping rolled into a ball and half hidden by their great manes they all looked well fed tired and dull they were as motionless as the mountain and the dead night was falling the sky was striped with broad red bands in the west in one of the heaps which in an irregular fashion embossed the plain something rose up vaguer than a spectre then one of the lions set himself in motion his monstrous form cutting a black shadow on the background of the purple sky and when he was quite close to the man he knocked him down with a single blow of his paw then stretching himself flat upon him he slowly drew out the entrails with the edge of his teeth 
afterwards he opened his huge jaws and for some minutes uttered a lengthened roar which was repeated by the echoes in the mountain and was finally lost in the solitude suddenly some small gravel rolled down from above the rustling of rapid steps was heard and in the direction of the portcullis and of the gorge there appeared pointed muzzles and straight ears with gleaming tawny eyes these were the jackals coming to eat what was left the carthaginian who was leaning over the top of the precipice to look went back again End of chapter fourteen